Live Like You Were Dying. <clears throat> Live Like You Were Dying was written by Tim McGraw for his father, Tug, who was battling cancer. And uh, he died a few years back. And in this song, he poses what I believe to be one of the greatest questions we could ask ourselves. And I want you to ask yourself the very same question is, what would you do if you were dying? What would you do if you were dying? And maybe you're saying, man, that's a really strange question to ask. It's so morbid. But I want to pose the question that in 2014 that you and I live our life like we were dying. What would we do differently? What relationships would we spend the most time on? How much energy would we put in places? Maybe we would do different things. Maybe we'd go different places. Uh, maybe we'd fill our bucket list like this song is saying. Maybe we would spend time speaking a little bit sweeter to people. Maybe we would spend time loving people more. What would you do different if you were told you had 365 days to live? 2014 was going to be the last year of your life. How would it change things for you? What would you do if this was it? James chapter 4 verse 14 says, While you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Listen to that again. He says, while you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The reality is that 100% of us will die in this room. Unless Jesus comes back, which I'm ready and, and I know that you are, unless Jesus comes back the moment you and I were born and breathed our first breath, we began the dying process, amen? We are all going to die. There's gonna be a day that you and I will come face to face with death and, and I want to challenge you this, this year. My question is, how will you live life to the fullest? How will you live life to the fullest this year? It isn't a matter of, well, will I'm not going to die or, or when. The reality is, is each one of us will. And, and I want to challenge you that this 2014, don't look at it maybe like you've looked at every other year going, well, it's a new year. Let me change some things. Let me do a couple things here and there. And I'll get as much as I can. And then next year will be another new year. Let's look at this year as if it were the last year of our life. How will you live life in 2014? So many people around us are joining the gym. Uh, I know in my, own e in my own email, my own mail, I've already received LA Fitness and I've already received 24-hour fitness and the YMCA telling me it's a new year, come back to the gym because many people will do that. They'll join a gym or, or maybe they'll begin to organize their finances so that they can do more or, or maybe they'll uh, begin to organize their agenda or, or they're gonna plan some huge makeover but this new year, I want to challenge you to ask yourself the question, what is really most important? Not what do I need to fix about me, not what do I need to fix about my kids or my family, but what is really most important in 2014? And I believe there's three questions we need to ask ourselves to get to the place where we really are living life like it's the last life we're possibly going to live. The first is, what perspective do I have? What perspective do I have? Perspective is a way at looking at situations. Perspective is a way of looking at situations. President Ronald Reagan was once challenged by a college student who said it was impossible for Reagan's generation to understand his. You grew up in different world, the student said. Today we have television, jet planes, space travel, nuclear energy, computers. Taking advantage of a pause in the student's litany, Reagan said, you're right, we didn't have those things when we were young. We invented them. You know, I would assume that Ronald Reagan's response changed that young man's perspective. 
I would assume that when Ronald Reagan's words came out of his mouth, that young man probably sunk into who he was and went, wow, that changes the way I looked at things. That changes the way he looked at this situation. You see, sometimes it's hard, and you and I know this, it's hard to see beyond the reality that we're living. Sometimes it's hard to see beyond the walls that we're experiencing. But it's an excellent question to ask. What does your perspective look like? You see, most of the world around us will enter 2014 with the perspective life is all about them. That's why they're going to join a gym, because they want to get skinny. They want to make sure, and we label it, we want to get healthy, but what they really mean is I want to look good. I want to look better. I want to feel better. I want to be better because I want to be more. And they'll enter 2014 trying to change things about them, and they're going to do whatever they need to do to get what's best for them. But I want to challenge you to change your perspective, not to be so self-centered, I want to change your perspective, not to be so self-consumed, but rather be Christ-centered, rather than having a worldly perspective that you and I might have an eternal perspective. Amen? Think about that. In the last year, how much perspective have you had on the things of heaven? How much time have you spent on the things of Jesus? And I'm not asking this to be a guilt trip. I'm not challenging anyone. I don't know your hearts. I'm just asking you to ask yourself that rhetorical question How have I lived life to the fullest, making Jesus known in everything that I do? I challenge us in 2014, let's have an eternal perspective. Jim Elliott was a great example of a man who lived with an eternal perspective. He's famous for saying, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Listen to that. He goes, man, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim had a heart that flowed from an eternal perspective. Jim had a heart that understood who Jesus was, and clearly he was more consumed with things of heaven than he was of things on earth. In Jim's diary, found out through his death, he writes, God, I pray to you, light these idol sticks of my life that I may burn for you. Consume my life, God, for it is yours. I seek not a long life, but but a full life like that of Jesus Christ. Jim died in 1956 at the age of 28. He died taking the gospel to an unreached tribe in Ecuador. And he, his prayer was answered in that his life was full. He was the beginning of that whole tribe coming to know Jesus. He was the beginning and he's been an inspiration to many Christians to keep their minds focused on Jesus, to have an eternal perspective. Man, I don't know about you, but I know for me, there's a lot of things in my life that I need to fix There's a lot of things that I'm not perfect and I need to improve and I need to to begin to, to change so that I can live Jesus. But I know this, I'm committing 2014 to be the last life I possibly live. I'm gonna live it as if this were the last one. I'm gonna go after Jesus like I've never gone after him before. I'm gonna fall in love with him more than I've ever fallen in love before. I'm gonna live like I'm dying. Because I believe that when I begin to change my perspective, when I begin to change the way I see things, is when Jesus begins to love through me, when Jesus begins to flow through me, and the world begins to change around me. Amen, church? Man, just imagine with me if we just chose this one year to live out Jesus. Just imagine if we spent all of 2014, 365 days this year, with Jesus on our minds and Jesus on our hearts and Jesus on our lips. Imagine the transformation that could happen not even in our own lives but in the lives of people. A car breaks down and a mechanic comes to know Jesus. An illness arises and a whole medical staff comes to know Jesus. A stranger needs food, and they don't just get fed, they get loved on, and they come to know Jesus. 
Man, someone begins to slander us or, or talk bad about us or insult us, and we deal with it with an attitude of grace and love and humility, and out of that, the offender comes to know Jesus. Imagine that. When the church begins to rise up and not just go to church, but be the church, and we begin to love people, man, when a layoff happens, and rather than us get insulted and offended, and, and we begin to offend them, but instead we go to our boss with love and understanding, and our boss comes to know Jesus because of a lost job. Can you imagine how life would be different in 2014 if you and I looked up and said, you know what, I'm going to live like I'm dying. I'm going to live this life like I don't have any more to live. I'm going to stop worrying about what tomorrow looks like. I'm living today because today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm living life for Jesus. You see, we can live this way in 2014 if we change our perspective. We have to live life with an eternal perspective. Life is so much bigger than today. Life is so much bigger than the problem you have right now. Life is so much bigger than the financial need you have. Life is so much bigger than the struggles. Life has to be about Jesus in eternal perspective. I love the Apostle Paul. He lived with an eternal perspective. In Philippians, we know that Paul's in Rome and he's under house arrest literally 24-7. He's bound to a Roman soldier. And look what he says in this letter to the Philippians. Philippians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace, guard and to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And he goes on and says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provisions of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Whether by life or death, and listen to this, he says, for me to live Christ and to die is gain. He says, for me to live Christ and die is gain. Man, when most of us would have been defeated in self-pity, you know, we would have been trying to present a case for ourselves. The Apostle Paul changed his perspective. And in return, God used him to proclaim his name to literally thousands of people. Paul, Paul's saying in his letters, going, listen, I would have never had this opportunity. Had I not been jailed and barred, I would have never had the chance to share the gospel with Roman guards. I would have never had the chance to encourage you. I would have never had the chance. And here we are, 2,000 plus years later, still talking about what the Apostle Paul did because he didn't let his situations determine what he was doing. He allowed his perspective to stay focused on the heavenly, understanding that God has put him there, and the same God that put him there is right there in the midst of him, and he's going to show himself faithful. You see, when we change our perspective, Christ changes our reality. When we change our perspective, Christ changes our reality. 
Yeah, the apostle Paul was in jail, but his perspective was so on Jesus, he was enjoying it. He was excited about it. He was encouraging other people in the midst of being chained to a Roman soldier. He couldn't do anything. But Jesus said, when your perspective's on me, I change your reality. I believe that if you and I were to change our perspective and live 2014 under the mindset that it was the last days of our life to live Jesus, we could and would change the world around us. I believe that if we live 2014 as if it were the last days to live out Jesus, we could and we would change the world around us. Amen, church? What are you living for today? It's 2014, brand new year, brand new day. We're just days about to march into a brand new year. What's your perspective going to look like? Is your perspective the way you see situations defeating Is it demanding? Is it frustrating? Or is the way you're going to look at 2014 saying, you know what? I know that through you, I can do all things. I know that with God is for me, no one can stand against me. And with that power and with that affirmation and with that deliverance, I will move into 2014 like I have no more to live. And I'm going to live Jesus to the fullest. We have to change our perspective. Number two, what are my future plans or what are my plans for tomorrow? What are my plans for tomorrow? Sadly, most of us in this room already have a packed agenda for tomorrow. Our future's already figured out and we're spending every minute we have trying to work and plan for a future we're not even promised. So many of us are spending the bulk of our time invested in work to earn money or make a name or create fortune or create uh, reality for our kids and we're spending all this energy and all this time. But again, look at James chapter four. It says, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. There's a saying that goes, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Y'all ever heard that? Whoever dies with the most toys wins. This is a trivial saying that should remind us that nothing we collect here on earth will go to the grave with us. I know I've read that on t-shirts before and I looked it up online last night. And and every time I read that now, I'm just reminded that, man, all this stuff that I'm trying to accumulate, all this stuff that I'm trying to get, I'm going to leave it right here. All these things that I work for and all this time that I spend, I'm going to leave it right here. You see, since we're not promised tomorrow, money cannot be our chief priority. And and I don't want you to get me wrong. While good financial sense is important and being a wise steward with what Christ has given us is important, it can't be the only thing we focus on. It can't be the chief priority of why we live our life. They can't even be the main thing. Look at Matthew chapter 6. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where the moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Man, it says, man, don't store up treasures here on earth. But store up treasures in heaven. Because where where your treasures are, where you're spending your time, that's where your heart is. You see, folks, one of the things we're most passionate about is where our heart is. And I want to challenge you, and I want to ask you, ask yourself the question, where's the most of my time being spent? Where are most of my treasures being taken advantage of? 1 John chapter 2 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I love that verse. It says, man, a world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
Folks, I just have to be honest. I, I have to believe that the will of God is for us to live Jesus in 2014. I have to believe it's not about getting a house. It's not about having the best job. It's not about having the best looking body. I have to believe that the agenda of Jesus is to live him. I have to believe that the agenda for our life from Jesus is to fall in love with him and love people. That is what he told the Pharisees, isn't it? That is the most important thing. He's looked at him and said, hey, listen, you really want to know what's most important? Fall in love with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And what I say? And love your neighbor as yourself. God's agenda for us in 2014 is to live Jesus. And my challenge to you is not just to live Jesus, but to live it like you have no more days to live it. Again, imagine the urgency you would have if you were told, this is your last day. Imagine the things you'd be trying to get done. Imagine the places you'd want to see. Imagine the relationships you want to restore. That's the same urgency we're called to live here on Jesus. Why? Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. Therefore, today is the day that we live Jesus. We've got to change our perspective. We've got to ask the question, what's my future plans? Look at Psalms chapter 90. It says, teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom. I love that from the psalmist. He says, man, teach us to make the most of our time. Don't let us get caught up in all these things so that we may grow in wisdom. God wants to use our time for him. He's created us to glorify him and make him known. God has called us to spend every day of our life making him the chief priority. So I ask you, what are your plans? What are you doing with your future if you only had 365 days left, how would you spend them? Really ask that. Don't just let that go like, I know I have more than that. I'm good. If you only had 365 days left, what would your future look like? How would it change? What would your day-to-day, how would it flip that upside down? We've got to live Jesus. Number three, how is God using me to make him known? Third question we need to ask ourselves is, how is God using me to make him known? John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple. Another translation says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you belong to me. What a sweet thought. Man, how is our love showing people that we belong to Jesus. Man, if you're a nurse, how are your patients knowing that you belong to Jesus? Man, if you're a boss, how are your employees knowing that you belong to Jesus? If you're a parent, how do your kids know that you belong to Jesus? And maybe you're a kid, how does your mom and dad know that you belong to Jesus? If you're a teacher, how do your students know that you belong to him? How are you loving people so extravagantly that there's no doubt in the world that you belong to Jesus? Whatever your profession is, whatever relationships you spend time with, how do those people know that you belong to Jesus? What are you doing? What are you saying? How are you behaving? Man, how is God using you to make him known? If you knew that you were dying, what would your love look like? If you knew that this was it, you have almost reached the threshold. You are almost there. How would your love change? How would it be different from what it is right now? And if you can honestly answer this question, then you know how you should be loving. 
Man, what relationship do you need to go work on? I'm always amazed as a student pastor, I can be preaching in a room this size with this many students and half of the room hates the other half of the room. And I would believe that might even be true in here. I'm always amazed that in the church we can come in and we can worship and we can sit on the other end of the church while having beef or a problem with someone on the other end of the church. And the Bible's going, listen, I've called you to love I've not called you to hate. I've not called you to harbor bitterness. I've not called you to be defeated or worried. I've called you to live life to the fullest. And I want to ask you, how is God using you to make him known? How is God using you to make him known? Don't say, well, I attend church. You know, I read my Bible. No, it's bigger than that. It's a relationship. It's not duties that gives us a relationship with Jesus. It's our love for him and our love for people. It's not a checklist gospel. It's a relational gospel. It's a Jesus who wants to know you and live through you. How is God making himself known through you? I want to end with 1 Corinthians, and I, I absolutely love 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I know I say that about everything, but this is true. And I just want this scripture just to, to speak to you. I'm going to be reading it from the message, and it says, If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all of his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all of his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says mountains jump and jump, but I don't, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. You see, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limits. We know only a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant on my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like an infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. And love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. Man, just listen to that, really, that's that last part. But for right now, until the completeness, we have three things to, do, to lead us toward the consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly and love extravagantly. Folks, in 2014, I pray that that's your prayer. I pray that that's your heartbeat and what you're running after. I pray that we're gonna steadily trust in God. 
We're not going to swave. We're not going to move. We're going to trust him. And we're going to hope like we've never hoped before. And we're going to love extravagantly. We're going to pour love out on people. Folks, I ask you the question, who needs to be exposed to your extravagant, extravagant love? Who needs to be exposed to your extravagant love? I challenge you in 2014 to live like you were dying. Allow the love of Jesus to flow through you and penetrate the lives of others. Today's the beginning of the best year of your life. Listen to that. Today is the beginning of the best year of your life. We say that with me. Today is the beginning. Say that. Today is the beginning of the best year of my life. Let's do that again. Today is the beginning of the best year of my life. And it's not because of what you're going to get. It's not because of the places you're going to go. It's not because of the skydiving or anything else. It's because your perspective is about to change. It's about to be all about Jesus. And your life is about to change because you're about to fall in love with Jesus more than you've ever fallen in love with him before. And your future plans are no longer about what you're going to get or what you're going to do or who's going to get what you've done. It's no longer about that. It's about understanding that Christ has called you to be his agent of love. And you are going to steadily trust in him and you are going to unswervingly hope in his glory and his fulfillment and we are going to extravagantly love amen church 2014 will be the best year of your life when you allow it to be all about Jesus and I want to challenge you this morning what's it going to take for this year to be all about Jesus none about you man I hope our prayers that it would make less of me and more of him, less of me, and more of him. Will you pray with me? God, I love you. And I really do pray that this year in my life would be about you. That I would get out of the way. And I said it earlier, and it's true, there's so many things that I probably need to straighten up and fix but the best thing about you is you want me just like I am. You want me to come to you with a heart who believes. And Jesus, here I am. Broken. Imperfect. Depleted. But in all those things you say I am. You are my salvation, my rescue. You fix the broken. You give hope to the hopeless. And you take us just as we are. So this morning I pray that if there's anybody in here that says, man, I, I just don't know if I can be that. I don't know that God will take me the way I am. That we'd understand that your love for us was so extravagant. That you sent your son to die on a cross. And you tell us that whoever believes in you will not perish, but have everlasting life. And you want us just like we are. It's you who brings change. It's not us who changes and then comes to you. It's us who comes just as we are. Broken, empty, hurting, frustrated, beaten, abused, battered, whatever we are. You're asking us to come. And it's you who makes us white as snow. 
So God, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who doesn't have a relationship with you, that they'd see me, that they'd see Rusty, that they'd see someone here, and that they could get all the answers they need answered so that they could leave with the greatest relationship anyone could ever have. And that's you, a perfect Savior, Jesus. God, I love the fact that there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It's simply believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth that we need you. And the scriptures tell us we'll be saved. And I love even more that there's absolutely nothing I can do to lose that salvation. Once saved, always saved. And so today we're without excuse. We can leave walking into 2014, living as if it were the last life we could possibly live, knowing that when you are for us, nothing stands against us. Jesus, I love you. In your name we pray, amen.